Hey sisters, just a quick note before we start this episode. We just wanted to let you know we recorded this weeks and weeks ago before the current situation was going on. So at the end, we talk about um, our weapons of choice in a zombie apocalypse situation. And we just wanted to make it really clear that we are not trying to be insensitive in any way about what is happening right now. And it was just something that we thought would be silly and fun, and we're going to go ahead and leave it in because we still think it's silly and fun and a fun conversation and a great episode of Mythbusters to watch. So we hope that um, we hope that everybody gets that and understands that and that it isn't misinterpreted in any way and that um, you enjoy this great episode with our friend Shauna Wingert. Thanks so much, sisters. Hi there, and welcome to the Homeschool Sisters podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Kara, and we're two homeschooling moms doing this homeschooling thing right beside you. We don't have it all figured out, but one thing we know for sure is that homeschooling is a lot easier when you have a sister by your side. Hey, Kate. Hey, Kara. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good. Okay, you know what was funny? During the Kindred Conference, we had these people that their kids thought our names were Hey Kate and Hey Kara. That cracked me up so much. I read it to my husband that night. It's so cool. Yeah, their, their kids were like, is that Hey Kate? <laughs> hey Kara here. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun to be known for something. I don't know. I love that the kids are listening too. Yeah, yeah. We try very hard to keep it G, or at least you know, PG. Um, but every once in a while, we have to cut something out where we're like, I don't yeah. know. We suddenly start well, talking. we're candid and we're just, we just yeah. chat and sometimes things come up. Well, we were just chatting before we started this one and somehow it went to dogs and the messes that they can create. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to edit that out. So <laughs> yeah, that's awkward. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We just well, we moms talk about poop all the time. So. Yeah, we just never know where the conversation's gonna go. Don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except this one, we kind of know because we've got our homeschool. So like she's, we've been calling her our homeschool cousin, Shauna. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and Shauna is Shauna is so awesome. She is. She has such a heart for helping moms, and she's so good at what she does. Um, and she's such a good friend, and she's so creative. I know, and just thinks outside the box in a natural sort of way. Like it's easier for her, I think, than some of us. <laughs> yeah, no, she is. She's very creative, and how she comes up with, I mean, all the things where she's doing like spelling on the trampoline and just all kinds of good stuff. She's mm-hmm. she's fun to follow. Make sure you're following her on Instagram and in Definitely. all the places. Yeah, because she's always sharing good ideas over there. So Shauna is a special education teacher turned business consultant and a mom of two brilliant boys with differences and special needs. Her background in communicative disorders, as well as her real life experience as a mom, give her a valuable and practical perspective. And that's exactly what she's doing today. She's like combining those two so well for these questions Mm -hmm. that that we asked her. Um, It was funny because when we were prepping for this episode, she was like, this is my life. These are, yeah, this is exactly what I've been (laughs) preparing for my whole life. (laughs) 
Um, so Shauna has written three books for parents of special needs kiddos, Everyday Autism, Special Education at Home, and Parenting Chaos. And we'll link to all those in the show notes, and then we'll link to, she's been on three other episodes of the podcast. So we'll link to all those too. All right. We should call Shauna. Yes, we should. All right. Hey, Shauna. Hi. Welcome back, lady. I'm excited to be back. <laughs> you, we figured out you are our most frequent podcast guest now. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. I love it. I said this, you know, I've said it, I think every episode I've been on that I consider myself to be a homeschool cousin and I feel like it's <laughs> official now. Like we, we have slumber parties when we get together and this is an example of that. So we were Cousins glad to be back. We were talking about how it's eight o'clock there, but we should have had like mimosas. It should have been like we really should have homeschool there should have cousin been a celebration. Brunch. Next yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Next, Next time. time we'll I like it. Out. I like it. So yeah. we're gonna oh. we're gonna link to all of your other episodes in the show notes, but just for quick reference, everybody, Shauna was um on episode sixty four, episode forty, and episode six. So you were one of our first guests too. I was thinking about that last night recording it. I was in my hot garage, like sweating. Yes, I remember <laughs> that. Oh yes. <laughs> it was so warm. So I feel better. Where where I am today is a little <laughs> bit more comfortable. I would like to have a mimosa, but even without it, I'm much more relaxed in this environment than I was the first time around. <laughs> I remember that because even though you were in your hot garage, you were still drinking coffee. And I was like, Oh, yes. do you do oh no, that? let's be clear. Absolutely. <laughs> Those two have nothing to do with one another in my life at all. (laughs) Same. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we have a, it's kind of a unique situation this time. And since you are our cousin, our sister, our friend, you're, you know, we're going to include you in some of the other behind the scenes stuff that we would normally, Kate and I would do. Um, And we had a listener reach out to us because she was just diagnosed with breast cancer and so we have been over on Instagram she asked us for some resources that she could use in her homeschool so we have over on Instagram kind of been brainstorming some things that might make this year a little bit easier Um, and the other thing is she is going to be handling a lot of appointments coming up and we have had another question a couple times, I think, from people who have either their own health issues or they have kiddos that have need for lots of appointments. And so we thought, well, since Shauna's here, we're just going to like loop her into this because um, do you use the hashtag waiting room life or is that just <laughs> like... <laughs> I should actually. I think I might have at some point. I, what I do is waiting room mom. Hashtag waiting room mom. Okay. I feel like that defines about fifty percent of my existence. So I'm happy to answer this question. The joke has been like I was made for this. My whole life has been leading up to this moment. It feels like so. I'm happy to be able to to speak to you know a very real and very difficult situation and hopefully provide at least some ideas and some encouragement to help manage what can be really complicated when you're, you know, dealing with your own health issues or your children's health issues and having to think about like the simple dynamics of homeschooling. It can, it can get really overwhelming. So yeah, I'm happy to speak to it. Yeah. And I mean, one of the biggest struggles I think any of us have with homeschooling is just being consistent is just every Mm -hmm. day and Mm -hmm. kind of developing a routine and everything. And then when you have, my 
<laughs> my son asked me recently, like, why did you make the appointment then, you know, for something yeah. that's coming up? And I was like, yeah. because that's when they had, you know, yeah. like we don't have control over when we can make these appointments. So yeah, they might just eat right into our school day and that might just kind of be the way it is. So what are some thoughts you have on that and tips you have for dealing with lots of appointments, but still mm-hmm. trying to keep homeschooling mostly on track? So I want to speak to the mom that asked the question first about her kids' appointments and what that looks like, because I think that will help us get to what it looks like when they're your own. I think it's a little bit easier to to speak about it in terms that we're all comfortable with in terms of our kids and homeschooling and that kind of thing before we go bigger and talk about what does that mean when you yourself are the ones that are involved in it. Um, the first thing I would say, and what I think is really, really important when you're in a situation where you have some sort of chronic but uh, inconsistent type of diagnosis, which is what a lot of our children have, where you know they, they are in appointments often with either doctors or therapists or so, some sort of combination of both. Um, and then they have like periods of time where there's not as much, and then they have periods of time where there's a ton. And that's just the way it is. Like there, there is no way around it. And often, like you said, Kara, you're at the whim of the person that you're calling to make the appointment in terms of how that's going to relate to your schedule. So the very first thing I would say is that's okay. And that's just how it is. And if your child was in school, it would be exactly the same way. Children that have chronic illnesses, children that have chronic issues, children that require therapeutic support on a regular basis, that is just baked into their school schedule as part of their learning. And there is no, you know, super extra guilt-ridden expectation of, well, how are you going to make up all that time? You, You don't. Like, that just is part of their learning experience. And the same is 100% true for our kids. And what I have found is that not only is that true for our children, but there are ways to make that experience a part of your homeschool to where I feel like they're getting a better learning environment because of it than they would if they were in a school program and I was pulling them out to take them to an appointment three times a week. Um, The way that we approach it in our family, and I do work with some families one-on-one as part of different by design learning that deal with this as well. So I'll try and speak a little bit more globally and not just keep it to my two kids. Although I will say in, in our home, we have appointments at least four to five times a month. And in seasons where things are very difficult, that can go up to eight to nine times a month. And so these are very regular things that are sort of taking over at some points in time when we're talking about any sort of plan that I put together, any sort of idea of how I want to approach homeschooling. I have to hold it loosely because I know that there are going to be these times um, that are just on our calendar. And I have no, I have no ability to control that one way or the other. What I do have the ability to control is what we do around them. And so that's what I want to like really get to today. Um, the first is outside of just acknowledging that this counts, like it counts as part of their school day, no matter what is I always bake in uh, car learning. So when you're driving back and forth from appointment to appointment, you guys know I'm a big proponent of audiobooks. I love them. We use them all the time in our learning for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I feel like I recapture some of the homeschooling juice, I guess, from the day when I'm able to turn on 
uh, an audiobook that is captivating and engaging and something that we're all listening to and that we're all talking about. It feels like a learning experience, even though we're driving to an occupational therapy appointment. And for me, that's a really easy way to do it because they're captive. First of all, my children are stuck in the car in seatbelts. So I can, I can just take advantage of that time without it being uh, a, a ton of significant effort on my part. And it's something that I have found over the years, because this has been like my, my go-to for now almost five years, uh, there is very significant learning that can happen in that time frame. And I, I want to just strongly uh, advise any family that's feeling a little bit like, well, that's not real. Like, I get it, but that's kind of a nice to do for us. That has become the mainstay of really language arts, of current event conversations. There's just something about that environment that works really well, particularly for my boys, because they're not the chattiest, like most engaged, how was your day? And let me answer you all the questions type of kids. And so there's something about that contained environment that really, really works. And it's just built in to any time that we have a doctor's appointment. The other thing that uh, I have learned to incorporate into the types of days where we just have the appointments is helping my children understand the expectation up front. And I do count that as learning. So we have, uh, for both of my kids, they do better with a visual schedule. And so what that looks like is we have post-it notes with all the things that we're doing throughout the course of the day. And so rather than there being like a math post-it note, there's a, a doctor's appointment post-it note. So they can see where it's coming in the schedule. That helps ease the transition in and out of the house, which I think can be really challenging when you're doing it on a regular basis, especially if you have kids that are resisting doctor's appointments and don't want to go. That's my secret to kind of moving from point A to point B. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we talk a lot about self-advocacy in the doctor's appointments. It started even when they were very young, like making sure that they understood that, you know, the reason for going to this is because this person has information that I don't have about how to help you. And so we want to take advantage of the time with them. And so having conversations around, um, you know, the doctor's probably going to ask how you're feeling. What, what do you what do you want to say? First of all, that's amazing because then you don't get into those situations <laughs> where if the doctor asks a question, you have no idea what they're going to answer <laughs> or that they're going to say, oh, yeah, we don't do school at all or whatever it may be. You kind of avoid that. Oh, my that. gosh. I prep mine every before right? every appointment. Like, yeah, I ask you this. So think mm -hmm. about your answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what grade are so, you in? <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. So there's that stuff. But there also is, I think, when you have a child with with a chronic need for these types of appointments, um, there's a need to help them manage that. And I think, you know, my goal, especially for, for my kids is that knowing that they're probably going to have these types of appointments for, you know, their adulthood as well. Part of what I consider to be their homeschooling experience is helping them learn how to manage that and helping them learn how to interact with doctors and, you know, the nurse that comes in and wants to take your weight and the therapist's office that, you know, is cold and <laughs> whatever it may be, I want to position them to be able to handle that. And I do consider that part of their learning. I consider that part of, um, you know, what, what I would want them to have, even if they weren't homeschooling, you know, that's, that's an, a life skill that I think is critical when you have children that need access to this all the time. As far as the mom with breast cancer, the first thing I would say, 
like more than anything else now that it's so weird. We have had now four episodes together. So if the listeners have heard my other things, they know how long it's been. They know how far we've come or not (laughs) gotten, (laughs) depending on the questions that we're, that we're going to talk about today. Um, But the longer I do this, the more I see how much just the little parts of daily life contribute to our children's overall development and ultimately education and learning. And I mean that in terms of their character and how they interact in the world. And I mean that like in terms of math and academics. Um, The first thing I would say is that, you know, any mom who is struggling with her own health condition, especially something that is dramatic and and all-encompassing like a breast cancer diagnosis what I would want her to know is that your ability to maintain a homeschool schedule is not the most important thing right now. And it's not even that, oh, well, you need to take care of yourself. It's not the self-care piece. It's that it's not the most important thing for her kids either. I feel like, you know, our, our children are a part of our lives. They're a part of what's going on in sort of the flow of our home. And they need as much time and space and grace and ability to process and, um, you know, just the, just the mercy of being able to have it be a little bit different as much as she will because of her illness and because of how bad she's feeling. That being said, children also need some consistency and they need a plan and they need some things to do. And, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where it becomes a free for all because I imagine that would be a disaster across the board for everyone. What I would recommend in this circumstance, and I've been thinking a lot about it since I read the question, is, uh, first of all, audiobooks again. (laughs) They require nothing of you, right? Like, you can turn them on, and you can lay on the couch and nap if you need to. You can, you know, sit. you can be sick and then come back and have a a conversation about what they listen to and let your kids engage you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there is, well, first of all, there's a ton of research particularly with with children that are struggling. And I would say that any kid in that situation that is having to manage a cancer diagnosis and a parent is probably going to have a little bit of trauma associated with that that needs to be respected and cared for. Uh, Any children that's struggling as a learner for whatever reason, any children, any child that's struggling as a learner for whatever reason um, can do really well with a role reversal. And what I mean by that is let them teach you. So if they're watching a documentary, the best way to assess their knowledge of that is to have them tell you about it. Tell me what you learned or, oh my gosh, what did you think about that? Like just engaging in daily conversations that are learning focused is something that I think is doable, um, even on the hardest days and something that in my experience has worked really, really well in terms of my kids feeling a sense of confidence in their learning even when they're struggling and even when there's things going on in our home that are very, very difficult. Um, Everybody likes talking about themselves, right? And our children are no different. And I think if I were in a situation where I had my own um, debilitating illness that I had to navigate, I would turn the volume up on that. I would have like daily things where they do their thing, whatever it may be, lots of documentaries, lots of audiobooks lots of online stuff. I would let go of all the ideas of how I kind of want our homeschool to be and let it just be whatever it has to be as far as learning is concerned. And then I would spend a ton of time 
talking with my kids about what they're learning from all of those things that they have in place. I mean, I would even include like video games. If they need to play video games, great, but have them tell you why they like them. Have them tell you about the characters. Have them tell you about the storyline that's in play or what they built. Um, I know it doesn't seem like that's direct learning, but there are a ton of benefits to that type of uh, interaction with our kids that have everything to do with academics and everything to do with their long-term success. It, it requires executive function for them to be able to think through what they want to tell you in a sequential order. It requires prioritization in terms of their ideas. And it, it helps them cultivate a different skill set that we don't normally think about when we're teaching our kids, which is almost like a public speaking teaching role. Um, you know, anything that they can have access to, whether it's books, audiobooks, um, documentaries, there's so many great opportunities for video learning these days. I would take advantage of that. Like anything that doesn't require as much of mom, I would have them engage in. And then I would have them teach me back so that they can learn um, the skills that are associated with being able to communicate their thoughts and ideas. They can learn how to be sort of in that teacher role. And ultimately, my hope would be that, you know, mom can feel encouraged that there is some learning going on here. There are some things that they're taking away from this that are significant and that count and that matter. The last thing I would say is, even if you did nothing for the next nine months to a year, your kids are going to be okay. Like that, it's weird to be the mom on the other end that now has a 17 year old and a 14 year old looking back and seeing all the times where I thought I was absolutely failing them or I was so inconsistent. I'm like, we didn't do anything this spring, like nothing. And yet kids still learn and they still progress. And there are seasons for this. And this could just be a season where there's just a lot less learning and a lot more togetherness and coziness and hanging out and doing the best you can as a family to get through something that is just the worst. You know, the last thing I would want any mom in that situation to feel is some sort of daily overwhelm associated with science, you know, of all the things, right? So I just want to encourage, if nothing else, like even if you do nothing, you, you'll be okay and your kids will be okay. Like it's, you've got time and you've got seasons where you'll be able to make up some ground and where your kids will naturally make up some ground. I absolutely love that. And I think there's so much value in just a conversation that we don't give credit to sometimes because some, so many of us went to public school mm-hmm. and not everyone can converse in a one-on-one or a two-on-one way when you're in a classroom of 25 kids. So mm-hmm. I think that's huge. Yeah. Well, it is. And, you know, independent of needing to do it because of some sort of chronic illness, there, there is a lot of research that says that that is an exceptional way for children to learn because they develop confidence in themselves first because they are being listened to, they are being heard, they are being able to express what they're good at or what they're interested in. And so it's, I think it's something that all of us can apply to be sure, no matter what our circumstances. Um, And when times get tough, that's the time where I find that that's a really effective way to look at my homeschool, uh, to be able to get through whatever it is that we're going through. That's so good. And Kate, I know we just want to say to this mom that we're thinking of her and we know there's lots of moms out there that are going through something big and just to give yourself, you know, lots of 
lots of love, lots of, you know, it's okay. Like lower the expectations so much in your homeschool because what you need to do most is just heal and, Mm -hmm. you know, just be with your kids and just that reassurance of just being together, I think, is more important than any school subject. Right. Right. And kids Mm -hmm. literally learn all the time. So Mm -hmm. whether that's something that you anticipated for this year or not, they are still learning. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I know, Shauna, you mentioned um, that you your post-it note visual schedule, and that's something that I have borrowed from you. So um, we'll link to that in the show notes, too, because mm-hmm. you have a post about that. Um, so we'll make sure that everybody can find that one. Okay, so we wanted to talk to you today, like with between your background in special ed and your background in strengths-based training, we just thought you would be the perfect person to talk to about a couple of questions that we got. But first, um, what you've been doing recently has kind of changed and adapted a little bit. So do you want to just kind of fill everybody in on that? Sure, I would love to. I'm super excited about uh, where this blogging journey and mothering journey and homeschooling journey has led. Um, Because my kids are older and because they are much more stable than they have been the past few times that we've talked, for sure. Um, I've been able to devote a little bit more time to thinking about how to take the combination of my background in special education and my background in strengths-based learning and education and kind of put them together to help other families. And so what I'm doing now at Different by Design Learning, my website changed, is uh, supporting families who have children with learning differences, behavioral challenges, and special needs come up with very specific uh, individualized learning plans that work best for their interests and their strengths and allow them to sort of lean into what's naturally working instead of constantly being in a position where we're focused on what's not working. What's really, really hard about having children that do have learning differences is that most of the cultural emphasis is on how you fix and I'm saying that with quotes, with air quotes, how you fix what's wrong and how you focus very intensively on remediation. And I just wanted there to be sort of another option and a counter to that out in the world for whomever is interested in it. Because my experience has been quite the opposite. My children are doing well right now because we didn't spend 80% of our time, you know, remediating reading. Um, My youngest is able to read right now because we took a very out-of-the-box, very scary approach to helping him learn and went against the grain of what everyone recommends. Um, After after doing it their way for many, many years and not having it work, you know, we made the decision to just do it our way, and it has worked very well, and I'm finding that it's working really well with a lot of other families. So I work online with families. I do support sessions for parents. I create individualized learning plans, and then if you're in the Los Angeles area, I do do some work in person as well, as time allows. So that's my new that's my new business. I'm very, very excited and feel very grateful and blessed to be in the season that we're in right now where we do have more bandwidth for me to be able to do more of this type of work. 
So we have another question, and this one is from Gretchen, and Gretchen writes, thank you for this podcast. It is my savior. I am wondering if you can do a podcast on learning challenges like dyslexia and dysgraphia. I know there's some great things out there, but something about hearing it in a podcast and with your amazing, inspiring support and humor, I'd just love to hear that. We just discovered our daughter has both dyslexia and dysgraphia. It's genetic, and my husband has it too. I'm just about to change our homeschool system and planning and curriculum. That's okay. We're going to work with it, and I'm trying to focus on the positive. I'm feeling a little bummed, but trying to stay positive that we will find our groove. And Shauna, before we jump into that question, real quick, can we just talk about what dyslexia what they and dysgraphic, mm-hmm. yeah, dysgraphia mm-hmm. mean? Okay. So you want me, I'll include, I, I call them the three D's, like homeschooling the three D's is something I talk about all the time because they often happen together or in some subset of together. You've got dyslexia, you've got dysgraphia, and you've got dyscalculia. And sort of the three of those encompass an area of learning difference that is all about how the brain takes in information and what it does with that information once it's in there, specifically as it relates to reading, writing, and arithmetic. So it's the three big things that happen in school happen to be the things that are different about children that have these types of diagnoses. So dyslexia is also called uh, learning disorder of reading when you're going in for like a school diagnosis or something that you would interact with the school system with. And basically what it means is that a child is struggling with accessing the basic building blocks and components of how one learns to read in the way that we typically learn to read. So a, a dyslexic child is going to exhibit signs of not retaining any sort of phonics information. It takes a really long time for a child with dyslexia to make a connection between the letters and the sounds. Reading is a very complicated um, process for really, I mean, if you break it down for all of us, but for the dyslexic child, their brain is not wired to pick up on that process. And so what happens is, you know, they can, they can look at a sight word, you know, my, my youngest is a great example of this. He's profoundly dyslexic and profoundly gifted. So he's very, very intelligent. Uh, but he looked at the word the for probably four years and was not able to read it no matter how many different ways we taught it. Like we made songs and we practiced it on the steam on the shower door and we did everything we could to sort of expose him to this word. And yet when he would come across it on, you know, a page it would be like he'd never seen it before in his life. There are times where he still struggles to spell his name because his brain just doesn't grab on to letters, words, sentences, the way that my brain does as someone who read early and found reading to be relatively easy. Dysgraphia is exactly the same except as it relates to writing. So the process of writing also involves a lot of different tasks that the brain has to manage all at once. You have to think about what you want to write. You have to think about how to express it and how to spell it. You have to think about how to hold your pencil. You have to think about the way you're going to move your hand on the page as you're holding the information in your brain about what you need to get done on the page. And for a dysgraphic child, all of those independent tasks are very, very difficult. And so putting them together, um, 
feels very, very challenging. That's the best way I could think to describe it. And it's essentially a mirror of what happens with a child with dyslexia. It's just as it relates to writing. And then you can imagine dyscalculia is essentially the same as the other two. It just relates to math. So holding math concepts in their mind as they're doing um, any sort of mental math, as they're writing um, the actual numbers on the page and thinking about what they correspond to in terms of actual physical amounts. So if they see three, having to think about that as if I had three apples, all of that gets lost in translation when you have a child with dyscalculia. My oldest struggles with this immensely. And so the example that I would have is he's 17. And we can be like out in the world, you know, looking at guitar picks in the guitar store. And it'll say, let's say there's a package of guitar picks that has 10 in them and they are $10. And he will not in any stretch of the imagination be able to come up with one guitar pick would then be a dollar. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. And there's, and no matter how many times we put, you know, practicing multiplication tables, practicing division, even practicing time test with addition, all of that is like, um, the wrong way for him to access math. It's not, or let me say it this way. It's not the most effective way for him to access math in all three of these instances. Uh, most children are at least average intelligence and a lot of them are, um, are gifted, are strongly gifted. This isn't an intellectual disability. There are intellectual disabilities that can kind of mirror this type of struggle with reading and writing and math. When you have dis- when you have the three Ds in play, it usually means that the child is exceptional in some areas that have nothing to do with reading, writing and math and have everything to do with visual spatial learning or musically, these kids can be amazing. Um, You know, my oldest has been building his own computers and guitars and aquariums for years now. Like he, he's incredibly capable in many areas, but again, can't figure out that that guitar pick is a dollar. And so with this type of I don't want to say diagnosis because it's not a diagnosis. It's not something where you go to a neuropsychiatrist and they diagnose it. There's no code associated with it. But with this type of difference in play and this type of need in play, what tends to happen to, I I can't think of a single person this hasn't happened to actually, what tends to happen is what what I spoke about with my youngest before. And that is there's this overwhelming need to focus, 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 um, and, and pressure, 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 because you don't want to lose ground. You want to make sure you make up for lost time. So the dyslexic child needs to practice reading every day for at least 20 minutes a day, twice a day. And it's got to be very intensive and you've got to use this specific approach and you've got to like tap it out on their arm and use these flashcards and all of these things. And I think what is difficult about that is that when you when you take a child with these differences and you put them in a homeschool environment, a lot of times what happens is their struggles become a reflection of mom and of teacher. And if they're not getting the word the for four years, clearly I have no idea what I'm doing. And I think that that is a battle that I have personally had to fight um, for years now. And it's one that I see happening every time I work with a family that is homeschooling a child with these differences Um, and it's one that I definitely want to speak to as far as Gretchen's question is concerned. So (laughs) 
<laughs> we can get to that. But that's the summary of what the 3Ds are and how they work and what's going on with the brain and all the different processes that are in place that kind of break down when you have kids with these with these types of differences. Perfect. Okay, well, yeah, let's definitely jump into Gretchen's question. This episode is sponsored by Wondercrate. Wondercrate is a subscription box that inspires kids to dream big, one great role model at a time. Each monthly subscription box contains a book and activities to educate, inspire, and empower kids to deliver their strengths and share them with the world. Wondercrate has five different series to choose from, Wondercrate Junior for ages 5 to 7, Wondercrate Artists for ages 8 to 11, Wondercrate Activists for ages 8 to 11, Wondercrate Innovators for ages 8 to 11, and Wondercrate Combo Series for ages 8 to 11. And so we've gotten Wonder Crate and we've done the version for older kids and it comes with a book from the Who Was series and then it pairs hands-on activities with it. So like we did um, Hershey and we got to make chocolate, which was really cool. And then the crates for kids who are five to seven use picture books from the Ordinary People Change the World book series. So have you guys tried Wonder Crate? We have. We did the Jane Goodall Wonder Crate, and my kids loved it because they love Jane Goodall, and it actually prompted a whole bunch of additional learning because we ended up watching a documentary on her that I think was maybe on Disney. I don't remember where, but it started this whole rabbit hole that has really been fun to watch. Oh, perfect. Well, um, if listeners are interested in trying Wonder Crate, we have a coupon code. So just go to WonderCrateKids.com, use the code SISTERS, and you'll get 15% off. Again, that's WonderCrateKids.com, and we'll be sure to have a link to that in the show notes as well. This episode is sponsored by Home Science Tools. Home Science Tools chemistry kits are filled with real, high-quality chemistry equipment, including glassware and chemicals, unlike many other brands that fill their chemistry kits with toy-like products. You can easily find a diverse chemistry kit portfolio by going to the website, clicking on Science Kits or Chemistry, and then clicking on Chemistry Kits. Their entire chemistry portfolio includes lab equipment, chemicals, glassware and plasticware, safety equipment, chemistry kits, and digital scales and balances. Home Science Tools has excellent chemistry kits for beginners, and I can attest to this in a minute. I'm going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing. (laughs) Um, They have a slime kit for kids. They have a chemistry and food experiment kit, a chemistry magic tricks kit, a crystal tree growing kit, um, and then they also have advanced labware sets and a deluxe organic chemistry set for kiddos who love chemistry and want to dive even deeper. So if the sisters have been following me on Instagram, I share about this all the time because we got the intro to chemistry set and it has been amazing for our family. We've had so much fun with it. And I, (laughs) I know this shouldn't be an issue, but it is because like they, you know, those chemistry kits that you can buy, you know, that aren't maybe really well constructed or whatever, like half the time, some of the stuff doesn't work. And it is so frustrating to set up this whole thing and have it not work. And we've experienced that. So every single experiment that we have done with our home science tools kit has worked and has just been so fantastic that we are moving on to the next level of chemistry. And we're going to throw in some forensic stuff. 
soon. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I know. I have a kiddo who's like really into all that stuff. So I cannot wait to dive into it. What that's are you guys? perfect for you too. Oh, I know. I'm such Just a... your interest. <laughs> I know. Okay, selfishly, maybe I kind of wanted to do that too. You really want to pick this one. Yeah. <laughs> So what are you guys working on? Oh my gosh, I'm excited because my oldest is doing like a a national through the public school chemistry competition this month. And so we've been all about chemistry. And I received something I've had my eyes on forever called Happy Atoms. And it's like a hands-on chemistry kit where you're building molecules and atoms and there's an app included with it. We haven't oh, done it cool. yet because I needed to clear a day. And yeah. We're going to do that today. But um, it's good. It's award winning. It's just one of those things that you've had in your cart forever that you like, should I go for it? Should I go for it? And we also got chemistry. I heard you mention it, the chemistry magic kit. Yeah. Because my boys love magic. My All my kids love magic, but the boys are especially into it. And I just thought that would be really a fun way to make chemistry accessible and then we got a science-based birthday kit because we have a birthday coming up in about a month and so we've got elephant toothpaste and a bunch of other fun chemistry birthday that's experiments and materials and I learned the hard way that you have to have the right supplies you can't just go to Target and get supplies to make good elephant toothpaste so home science tools includes the right kind of peroxide (laughs) (laughs) you can't have ears at the birthday party right exactly exactly um so we are excited to be able to share a coupon code for home science tools you can use the um code friends 20 and get 10 percent off your order and that is good until april 24th so go to homesciencetools.com and use that code friends 20 for 10 percent off until april 24th Okay, so what I would say, actually, you know what I want to say to Gretchen is I want to share a story first, because I think it's the best way to communicate carefully what I want to say, Um, because I am conscious of there being a need for intervention. There's a need to not only educate yourself and understand dyslexia for Gretchen and dysgraphia, and to put some things in place that sort of follow the model of how these kids learn to read and write. Um, but I'm not, I'm never going to start there because of my own experience. So the story that I will share is in regards to my youngest, which I already said, you know, profoundly dyslexic and profoundly dysgraphic, um, but also super smart and super capable in a lot of other ways. Two years ago, I made the decision to, um, complete a public school IEP for him which meant that in our state, he didn't go back to public school, like he wasn't in a classroom, but we went through the IEP process so that he could access services because I felt like I'm not getting anywhere. We're not making a ton of progress. He's never going to be able to read. Like I need to get some help here. I need to get some, someone in that can help us with this. And I do think that there's probably a point in time for every mom who has a child with a significant learning difference where it is appropriate and really, really important to get some outside help and some outside um, influence in terms of what you're doing. That's not what I did here. (laughs) What I did here was said, what basically said, I can't do this. Like I'm not, apparently I'm not cut out for teaching this child how to read. And so I'm going to find somebody that can. 
And so we started educational therapy three times a week through the school district. And my son did it for an entire year. And he hated just about every single session of it. It was a disaster. It caused mental health issues. It caused anxiety that we did not need. Um, And most of his learning, some of it was online, so I could be present for it. Most of it was repetitive and incredibly dull and really, really basic and babyish for a kid that was approaching 12. And so, you know, my heart as we're going through this is, this is not what, this is not how he learns. This doesn't seem like the right way to approach this. But my brain, the logical part of me was like, but everybody says this is how you have to teach a dyslexic child to read. And so he needs to just keep doing it. At the end of the year, he hadn't learned anything more than what he knew at the beginning of the year from me. Mm -hmm. And For me, I got to the point where it was like, if this is just the best that he can do, like maybe he'll never learn to read beyond a very, very basic level. I have to protect this child as a learner first because he had no confidence by the end of the year. He hated everything that remotely had anything to do with reading for obvious reasons. I mean, it was like torture for him. Um, And so what we did the following year was made a concerted effort to take an interest-led approach to learning for him. So instead of looking at all the research and all the data that says dyslexic kids need to learn this way, I mean, he'd already been doing that on some level with me since he was like four, right? Like breaking down the individual components of phonics, practicing the sight words, you know, looking at the basic sentences, like we've been doing that for years and years and years. So it's not like we never exposed him to, you know, really specific, comprehensive, broken down learning as it relates to to dyslexia and dysgraphia. Um, So we wiped the slate clean. And instead, we started reading Harry Potter because he's heard the audiobooks so many times that he almost has them memorized. And so he could start to figure out the words on the page because of that. Um, I made a concerted effort to let him know that at 12, he would no longer be doing the flashcards like all the babies do. And we just started naturally engaging in the world of words in ways that made sense for him. So YouTube's a great example. He loves watching YouTube videos. He watches like, you know, Brave Wilderness and Dude Perfect and all those guys that do wild and crazy things. And he's way into them. And so I would have him, you know, he'd say, oh, I can't find it, like that he would want me to search for the video. And I would intentionally say, okay, well, go ahead and try. I'll be in there in a minute just to let him practice looking at the words and, you know, scrolling through and trying to figure out what it says. You know, just really basic, um, very natural approaches to reading ultimately is what led him to where he is today, which is, I mean, he still struggles to read, to be sure. But he can pick up a book and read it now. Like he can, there's videos on my Instagram if you want to go look at it. Gretchen, I'm sharing this with you because it's not to say that I don't think that you need to learn a lot about helping a dyslexic child learn to read because I think it is important that you educate yourself and you understand what's going on with the brain so that it doesn't feel so scary and it doesn't feel so much of a struggle. Um, I share this because I want to encourage you to be very balanced in your approach. Like what I hear in your question is I'm already ready to scrap our curriculum. I'm already ready to have to do it all differently. 
And I think there will be things that you have to do differently. But the most important thing that I want to encourage you to do differently is just change your expectations of how this is going to go, not have a checklist of all the things that everybody says you need to do with your child. Because the, the truth is most, first of all, we didn't even know what to do with dyslexia 20 years ago. So this is all very, very new. Um, and I don't want to discount the work that's out there because it's fantastic. But most of it is focused on five to eight. So once you get past the five to eight year old stage, if you're just continuing to do the same thing over and over again, um, or if your child's not responding to it, I just want to give you the permission to say, maybe we can do this a little bit differently. Or maybe I can take what I know, but try and do it in ways that make sense for how my child learns. Um, and I know there are a ton of people that are going to hate that I'm saying this. So I'm, I'm putting it out there because it's my experience. It's been my experience with families that I've worked with one-on-one here in Los Angeles. Um, it's almost like the most important thing that I have come to learn at the end of this sort of, I'm not at the end of it, but as we've made progress in this journey is that you need your child to feel confident as a learner in order for them to learn. And so the worst way to do that is to force them to look every single day at things that make them not feel confident as a learner over and over and over again. So the most that you can do to protect that in my mind is what's going to get you not only the best results in terms of a reading program or them being able to, you know, do what they need to do in the world as a dyslexic, um, but it's also going to protect the time that you have with them now. It's going to protect their relationship. It's going to protect their, uh, their self-awareness and their self-confidence. And ultimately that will allow them to overcome whatever they need to overcome with the dyslexia and the dysgraphia. I mean, my dad was dyslexic, so I can relate to Gretchen's, um, question and he could barely write me a birthday card, like barely could get from point A to point B on a birthday card, but he was wildly successful and he did very, very well in his life because there is this, this isn't an actual, an intellectual disability. Like these, these kids are a hundred percent capable. A lot of times what happens is they need to figure out how they need to do it you know, and they can't do that if they don't have confidence. They can't do that if they're always uh, reminding themselves and being reminded of how bad they are at something. So that's my two cents. Like I said, it's, it's not research based. I know there are a ton of people that are going to freak out even hearing me say that, but I'm with my cousins, so I can say whatever (laughs) I want to say and, and be okay with it. So, (laughs) well, I loved it. Thank you. You know, it takes, so many of us so long to learn what we are good at that mm-hmm. focusing on it when they're young is such a gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it matters because it relates to what they're not good at. Like if they right. can figure out what they're good at and they can get really, really adept at that, they begin over time. It takes a while, especially for children that have learning differences, but they begin to apply that to the areas that are tough for them. Like they learn how they learn and then they can mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. and start to fill in the gaps instead of it being this sort of mad dash to like force it on them as much as we possibly can so that they're not behind or they're not struggling. Um, It's just, it's a different, it's a different approach, but it's one that I'm finding really, really does work um, at least anecdotally. So I I would be remiss if I didn't share it because that's truly the difference between when you ask me that question. And if you ask someone who is a trained specialist in the school system or a reading specialist that works with dyslexia, and dysgraphia and dyscalculia. 
I, I think that's good too, because what do we really want, like big picture for our kids? We want them to be confident mm -hmm. so that they can continue to pursue learning. So that's mm -hmm. really like big picture what we want. It gets scary because we hear all these things about, you know, what kids should be doing by a certain mm -hmm. age or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when we can kind of let that go a little bit and just think long term, what what do we hope for this child? It's that yeah. they can feel good about themselves so that they can pursue what they want to pursue in life. Yeah. So. And, yeah. I, you know, I think that's true for every single homeschooling parent, mm -hmm. right? Like we all have to go through that and we all have to wrestle with, you know, my child isn't doing this. Should they be doing this? Am I failing because they're not? It just has so much more weight when your child has um, a diagnosed or identified learning difference because you get all of these external sources telling you all the things you're supposed to do. And it mm -hmm. is painted as a very bleak future if you don't do it. Like if they don't do it this way, they will never learn to read. If you don't do this, then this will happen. And, you know, kids aren't math equations. It's not like A, dyslexic child plus B, dyslexic learning equals C, reader. I, I don't know a single child that has ever progressed in that way, dyslexic or not. Um, and so, you know, I guess if nothing else, the truth is, is that no matter what your child's learning difference, the approach is so similar to what we would say to any homeschooling mom. You know, it's, it's actually not that different, even though everyone's telling you it is. And even though it feels like it is all the time, especially if you're comparing to other families or other kids and the progress that they've made, it really is the same thing. It's tuning into what works for your child. It's spending as much time as you can trying to help them cultivate the gifts and the resources that they've been given and, you know, sort of being their guide as they get there, as opposed to, you know, we need, we need to do these worksheets and these flashcards today because I'm a bad homeschool mom if I don't get them done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have another question, sort of similar, sort of different from Kate. Hi, sisters. I've been listening to y'all since the very beginning. You're a slice of calm in my otherwise hectic week. I'm struggling with something that I'm hoping you can suggest some resources for. A little mm -hmm. backstory. My 10-year-old son is 2E. We've known it for a very long time. We're coping and encouraging, and he's doing well. I've always considered his sister, 7-year-old, the, and she puts quotes here, normal one. I feel like <laughs> a horrible person for saying that, but she's just always been consistent and very much mm -hmm. on level or slightly above. Plot twist, it turns out that she's most likely 2E2, gifted mm -hmm. and dyslexic. What? <laughs> um, she reads, she's brilliant in math, she's steady, but she's frustrated. Things don't work in her mm -hmm. brain the way they're supposed to. So I guess my question is, one, help? <laughs> I love the way Kate writes this. Um, and two, do you know of any great resources for 2E dyslexic kiddos? There are a ton about homeschooling gifted kids and homeschooling dyslexic mm -hmm. kids, but I'm not finding anything on, gifting, on gifted and dyslexic. And this mom is feeling pretty defeated. So again, before we jump into this one, Shauna, can you just talk a little bit about what 2E means? And yeah. then we'll, we'll go specifically to Kate's question. Say, okay. Probably some of your readers that are like, what is she talking about? Yeah. So 2E stands for twice exceptional. And that typically applies to a child who is measuring on some level in the gifted range. So as far as intelligence is concerned, they are showing above average in terms of their intellectual abilities. But they also have another exceptionality 
that qualifies as a learning difference. So sometimes it's dyslexia, it can be ADHD, it can be a child that's on the autism spectrum. Like when you put those two together, what you get is this quirky combination of twice exceptional. Um, And it can be very disconcerting. I want to say, first of all, when the child that you thought was, quote, normal is the one that's now presenting with issues. I have two children, and that has absolutely been my experience 100%. Like, I, I, I was loving the fact that I had my one child who got it until he didn't. Um, and it, it, letting go of even just that can be hard as a mom. So I relate to this question on a very, like, <laughs> visceral level. So... Here's, I guess I have a couple of things. The first is she asked for resources. So um, the very first place that I would look for twice exceptionality is Colleen Kessler's site, Raising Lifelong Learners. She is raising four of them as far as TUI is concerned and also has a background in gifted education. Anything that she puts out there as far as giftedness is concerned usually has an element of the twice exceptionality as well. And she speaks, um, you know, very specifically to how those two things work together to create a very different learner, no matter what the exceptionality is. So whether it's dyslexia, whether it's, you know, something with attention, whatever that may be. There are unique uh, profiles associated with twice exceptional learners that she's very, very adept at walking moms through, at helping them through. She has a podcast. Like there's, there's a lot out there as far as resources are concerned associated with that. Um, the other resource I would say that I have found to be just brilliant in regards to this is Tilt Parenting. I can't remember what her name is right now. It's escaping me. But she wrote the book Differently Wired and talked exactly about what this mom is dealing with, probably with both of her children, as it relates to the intellectual ability combined with a learning difference and what that looks like when you mix it all together. Because I have two twice exceptional children, I will just sort of quickly speak into the the help (laughs) request as as it's associated with dyslexia and a a very bright, gifted learner. Um, She's only seven, so that's actually really good news because most of the resources for dyslexia are designed for that age. And so there should be, in fact, I'll send some links over because I can't think of the names right now, but there's some toolkits out there that might be worth putting down in the show notes that she can look into and anybody else might be able to look into that are exceptional for kids in that age range and work really, really well in terms of it's still being challenging intellectually, but also breaking down the components of reading in such a way that she's able to make some progress. The one sort of overarching piece of advice that I would have for this mom is to err on the side of the intellect and not the exceptionality. So you have a child that is very, very intelligent and use that to your advantage. This is, this is a child that's naturally going to want information, is naturally going to want to learn and will probably be pretty upset. Like, like she's saying, she's already struggling because she knows that she can't access it in the way that she wants to. And so again, it goes back to that strength-based learning that we just talked about. The more you can give her opportunities to learn all the things that she wants to learn about in ways that make sense for her brain. So whether that's audiobooks, again, you reading aloud, 
you, um, you know, are taking her on field trips and letting her have access to information and learning in that way. Could be documentaries, like whatever it is, um, err on the side of that because that will inform, like, because, because she's twice exceptional, that will inform the areas that she's struggling with in ways that will far surpass any set of flashcards I could recommend or any sort of program that you could put her in that would help her with reading. Okay. That's really, really good. And I love the way that you nurture these moms who are coming to you and, you know, they're overwhelmed and they're Mm -hmm. a little freaked out and they're, you know, um, okay, what now type of, you know, and so, um, just before you go, we wanted to ask you if you have any advice for these moms in the trenches who maybe don't even have a formal, um, mm-hmm. you know, idea of what's going on, but they just know that something is up and they're, mm-hmm. they're just kind of, they're struggling. And they're, like you said, they're doubting themselves. Yeah. So I do, I have so much to say, but we're going to run out of time. So here's, here's the one little piece, little tidbit that I would want to put out there for any mom who has a struggling learner and is also homeschooling. As much as it feels like it's different because your child is not making the progress that you're seeing other children making, as much as you're seeing the differences, what I want to encourage any mom that's in that situation in is that you have made the decision to homeschool. And honestly, in my mind, that alone will provide so many more opportunities for learning and and advancement for your struggling learner than any other educational option out there. And I'm not against people putting their kids in school. I'm not against finding private school programs. My oldest is actually in a hybrid program right now that's working really, really well for him. This isn't sort of a like anti-school rant by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But what it is, is an acknowledgement that kids that have learning struggles will get lost in the shuffle when they are with a larger group of kids. And so making the decision to homeschool in and of itself, even if you do it horribly, (laughs) even if you feel like you're failing every day, having access to learning in a very uh, one-on-one or two-on, no matter how many kids are in your family, it's not going to be a classroom environment. It's going to give your child with struggles and with learning differences access to learning in a way that is much, much better for the way that they need to learn. And as I said, even if, you know, you feel like you're failing at it, just showing up every day and doing it is a significantly better option for this child than anything else that I know is out there. Um, you know, as they get older, my experience has been, like I said, my oldest is now in a hybrid program and will probably graduate high school through this school that he's with, not even through me, which makes me so mad because I'm so proud of his transcript, but it is what it is. <laughs> Whatever. Um, because he's been allowed to learn and progress in a way that makes sense for his differences, he's now better able to engage in a classroom environment than he was, you know, when we first had our very first homeschool sisters with the homeschool cousin Shauna conversation, right? Um, Because of the decision to homeschool, despite all my failings, despite me feeling like I need to take a nap on the couch instead of teach them way too often, you know, all of those in play, still made a difference in terms of his ability to access learning, which ultimately prepared him to be able to not only go back in the classroom, but ultimately do whatever it is that he wants to do as an adult in the world. 
And so that's my encouragement. It's not like any particular thing that I think you should do or shouldn't do. It's not even like give yourself grace. Although I think we all deserve a lot more grace than we do give ourselves. And I think our kids, especially struggling kids deserve a lot more grace than we're prone to give them because we worry that we're spoiling them and all of that kind of stuff. It's literally just my encouragement to you is you already made the best decision. Like you've, you're already doing the best thing for them. So just mm. keep doing that, whatever it looks like. Oh, I love that. I love that. So Shauna, I know people are going to want to connect with you more after this episode. So can you just tell everybody where to find you? Of course, you can find me online all the time at differentbydesignlearning.com. And there you'll have access to my blog and free resources to help you get started, particularly with this sort of strength-based idea of how we approach kids with learning differences. And there's also information there about, you know, working with me individually the way that we've talked about with parents. Um, I have a great Facebook group where there's wonderful moms who are like-minded in there sharing uh, either questions or commentary on what's working and what's not working. I highly recommend checking that out. And then I'm on Instagram just sharing random pictures of my kids doing random things all the time. So that's probably <laughs> the three places you have the best access to me. Perfect. Okay. So people who listen to the podcast frequently will know that normally when we have a guest on at the end, we ask if there's something that's bringing you joy right now. Um, and we've done that a few times with you. So we thought we would like twist it a little Spice bit okay. this time. And so Kate and I did a couple of episodes where it was like get to know you episodes where we interviewed each other <laughs> and we asked each other what our weapon of choice would be during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> And oh, Kate, what did I, you I like say? This. <laughs> I feel the need to defend my choice by saying that we didn't talk about the zombie apocalypse before the interview. <laughs> so I was on the fly, but I chose Waspray <laughs> because it covers a great distance and it's loaded with chemicals. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Like and you, you said that, that that's actually, like, there's police officers who say that that's better than, like, pepper spray, right? To spray. Yeah, you have, I mean, you're going to wreck your house, but you have a better <laughs> chance. <laughs> like a bug bomb, but you have a better chance of hitting the person. It's a yeah. further range. Okay. And no one wants oh to gosh. get hit with that. No, no. This totally cracks me up. <laughs> okay, so then, um, and then I said I wanted to say something cool like a crossbow or like something, yeah. but I think I said my Volvo because it's got like this ah! big, I love it, long hood that would just be really effective at like running things over, and also it's that, really heavy too. It's like a solid it is. Car. It's kind of a tank. It's kind of yeah. And then the other thing is I'm terrible at parking, like estimating the. So I constantly like crash into things anyway, and there's not a dent in it. So I mean, that's what yeah. the bump, the curb, and the that's what it's there for. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's I know that the curb is there, so now we're good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You have to like oh go right gosh. up to it, and then like I an was inch just checking it beyond. out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Shauna, we wanted to ask you. <laughs> What would I use in a zombie? Okay, yes. I feel like I feel like the first thing is is my I would be remiss if I didn't mention that my children have watched probably seventeen times the MythBusters episode where they test what's the best way to repel zombies. Oh. So I kind of know the right answer, and it's an axe. Like you need an axe; it works better than a gun. I know that for sure. 
Okay. Um, but let's just be honest. Like the truth is, is that if there's a zombie apocalypse, all I'm going to have is like coffee in my cup that I'm just gonna, like <laughs> throwing at them and my kids like multitude of reptiles. I'm just going to set them loose, <laughs> let them take them down. All the snakes hopefully can like at least trip them or something. <laughs> Like if we Can't were, you just picture Shauna like slinging coffee? Yeah, hundred percent. And all the coffee mugs, like just throw them. That that pretty much is what I have at my disposal around here. So as much as I might like to have an axe, you know, we're in Southern California. Nobody's chopping anything with an axe around here. That's all I would have. That's that's okay. what would be left. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to link to that episode in the show notes. Oh, yeah. um, so funny. Because now I want to I want to watch it. That's what I want to do this afternoon. But I will also say you just mentioned reptiles, and I just oh. think it's funny that um, this week I was thinking about adopting a chameleon, and you guys are the two that I ask questions yeah. Yeah. because you b- both have um, kids who are very knowledgeable about reptiles. Yes. So. Yes. I asked you both, do they bite? Because I was afraid it was going to bite me <laughs> if I got a chameleon. And then you very gently told me that that might not be the best lizard for me. <laughs> Ever. And then, yeah. Shauna, you shared a picture of a bearded dragon. Bearded dragon? No, it was a leopard gecko. A leopard gecko. A leopard gecko. In a sweater yeah. that was yeah. made from a baby sock. Right. Well, you wanted a comfort lizard. And I feel like, yeah. you know, if you've got a, a comfort, like support lizard, then yeah. those are the best. I and want any, an emotional support lizard. Baby I like yeah. that. That I can I like, like take Norbert has a sweater and a Santa hat. There you go. Does he have, is it like a sweater <laughs> you bought at Petco or is it made out of no, a baby No, actually, uh, Instagram follower who's become a friend has a lizard named Falcor. Which oh, I, I love just think it. is like the perfect name, like Norbert and Salcor. And so they're internet buddies. <laughs> I love and, this so and much. They... <laughs> but, at, but as you voxed me about the lizard, I had to tell you that at that time, Norbert was having a spa because he was having, he was a little backed up, which is something that happens <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to bearded dragons. And then you want them basically to poop in a tub. So that was the glamorous lizard life that I was living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. See, I don't know if I can commit to this. I think it's really good that I asked you guys before. Honestly, I think it's really good that chameleons are $70 because if they were not $70, if they were like $7, you might have had to bring them home. They're so cute. They're so cute. And they're so hard to care for. Like you made the right decision. The best thing is I'll, I'll pull this full circle for us though. The best thing is, is that when you sent that over, I immediately asked my son, like, you know, this isn't going to be good for her. What do I need to tell her? And it was an example of having him teach what he learns. Exactly. No, tell her this, tell her that he's the one that went online and got the picture of the leopard gecko in the baby sock sweater for you. Like, this is what I recommend. He's the one that made the recommendation, not me. So actually come to think of it. Beardy, we we consulted Shauna's son, and we actually had yes. a, like a Skype session that my kids still talk about about how to care for your bearded dragon. <laughs> That's from what I was thinking about. Right, following one mm-hmm. of our old episodes that we recorded, your son came on and That's shared right. his and knowledge. And, and I mean, here's yeah. the thing: it takes a certain level of confidence to like share with you know people you know. But he just got on there and was like. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeff Corwin meets Steve Irwin <laughs> meets yeah. the Crap Brothers, you know. That's strength-based right there. Yeah. Like, that's what he loves. That's what he knows. He's super confident in his ability. And so he's happy to jump on and share 
whatever he knows, and then some. And find you some pictures of leopard geckos and baby sun sweaters if you need it. He's all over it. It made my day. Yeah, (laughs) it's good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Shauna. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. And we will, and we will um, talk to you soon. You guys have a good week. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We'd love to answer your question next, so head to our site, thehomeschoolsisters.com, and click on Ask Us a Question. We share posts over there, too, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes so we can connect with more sisters out there. And until next time, remember, you've got this, sister.